In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents... Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop story. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny... One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Politically Georgia podcast, where we bring you news and analysis of all the latest Georgia shenanigans in Congress and under the Gold Dome. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, and today I'm joined by the AJC's Washington correspondent, Tamar Halloran. Thanks for joining us. Hello. Early voting began Monday for the July 24th primary runoff. And of course, it involves the Republican runoff for governor. The winner of the race will face Democrat Stacey Abrams in November. It's between Lieutenant Governor Casey Cagle and Secretary of State Brian Kemp. And we have a latest poll from an outside group called Signal based in Alabama. It's the first public polling we've had in a while in this race. And it shows the two candidates are essentially tied in this race uh, for governor, which is somewhat shocking given that Cagle has a huge fundraising advantage, has already outspent Brian Kemp two to one on TV ads. Exactly. And and we saw in polls ahead of the primary in May, Cagle had a huge lead over the entire field. So it's, it's amazing to see just how much, um, you know, now that the other three candidates have fallen away, just how much uh, Brian Kemp has been able to kind of tighten the race. Yeah. And this is, you know, they're, they're scrapping over a significantly smaller portion of the Republican electorate than in the primary. In the primary, um, Let's, let's take the 2010 primary for, for governor, Republican primary. That was the last time we had a competitive race um, like this one. And about 100,000 fewer voters voted in the runoff compared to the primary. So this is going to be a smaller electorate. It's going to be probably even more conservative, which is why this could be a toss-up. Yeah, exactly. And and primary elections on their own, I mean, that's that's only really the, the party faithful who are going to come out. But, but a runoff, especially... At the end of July, in the middle of summer vacation season, right before the kids go back to school, a lot of people are either going to be out of town, they're going to be tuned out, maybe they're tired from the first round of the governor's race. So they really are fighting over the voters who who came out in the first round, um, but knowing it's going to be an even smaller group. Um, and Greg, what, what struck me about this poll is that this is the first poll we've seen since the, the secret tapes with, with Casey Cable talking about a bad bill, quote unquote, that he backed in the legislature. The, the first poll we've, we've seen come out since then. You're right. And we, we had a poll right before then that showed Cagle with about a seven point lead. And it was from another outside group. But yeah, this is this is the first poll since that recording sort of rocked the race. Um, and Kemp's campaign has really tried to leverage that recording. Uh, they've had surrogates calling for federal prosecutors and, and local authorities to look into whether or not uh, Casey Cagle violated bribery laws. Uh, they've had 
they've, they've invoked it in their first TV ad co- talking about Cagle's, in their words, corruption scandal. Um, so they're really trying to make the most of, of this recording. And so we, we have a first indication that it could be helping to shape the race, at least in this initial poll. Uh, but a lot of it also depends on how much money Brian Kemp can use to leverage the poll and to, and to get it out to an even broader audience. Because you know, we, we've always known he's at a fi- financial fundraising disadvantage when it comes to Casey Cagle, who, who's easily had the most financial success, fundraising success of any of the candidates. Uh, but he's putting a, a million bucks behind a round of ads. And we, we saw the first one trying to sort of nod towards this secret recording. Um, before we get into the fundraising numbers, I want to ask you, Greg, how much stock you're putting into this poll. I mean, we talk about polls all the time and how you should take everything with a massive grain of salt. You know, there's there's plenty of, of subjective decisions that go into polling and, you know, it's just a snapshot in, in time. But but how closely are you looking at this and, and how much do you think it actually reflects what's going on? Yeah, I think it's accurate in that the race is tight. I, th- I don't think anyone out there in either campaign or anyone who's watching this doesn't think this race is a pretty tight one. Cagle still has the advantage and he still has a, a, a tremendous amount of fundraising that he's able to to use to buy, to flood the airwaves. Um, and he also has the support of this outside group called Changing Georgia's Future that has pumped in more than a million dollars into the race too. So not only does he have two million bucks or so worth of his own ads, he has a million plus from this outside group. And that's going to really play a big role in the final weeks of this race because when 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 voters turn on Fox News, when Republican voters turn on Fox News and they can't avoid ads, pro-Kegel ads or anti-Kemp ads, um, it could play a big role. But also at the same time, you know, Cagle's strategy can just be purely limited to if he can get everyone who voted for him in the May primary back out to vote for him in the runoff, he could very well win this thing because of the lower turnout. Camp's strategy is is much more about persuading Clay Tippin supporters and Hunter Hill supporters and Michael Williams supporters who voted for other guys, uh, you know, the who, who didn't vote for Cagle in the first round to come vote for, for Brian Kemp in the second round. And uh, that's where I think endorsements will play a, a pretty big role in the last stage. Michael Williams had did a quiet endorsement of Brian Kemp. Brian Kemp did not want to publicize it, did not send a press release about it because Michael Williams has a very checkered history in this, in this Republican race. But Hunter Hill or Clay Tippins, if they formally get in the race, especially Hunter Hill who came in third, it'll be a big deal. And if you look at where Hunter Hill really, really thrived, he did very well in Cobb County which is you know, this longtime Republican stronghold that, that ended up actually flipping blue in the 2016 presidential race. And he did very well in coastal Georgia in areas where military veterans live. Um, and, and that's because he himself is a former U.S. Army Airborne Ranger. And I'm sure, and I, I'm sure Hunter Hill is not happy about these, you know, the story of this, this secret recording from Casey Cagle, where, where he basically admitted on tape recorded by um, Clay Tippins that... Um, you know, he backed this bill that he thought was bad policy because he didn't want money and endorsements going Hunter Hill's way. So it'll be interesting to see whether he gets involved. It's unimaginable that he would he would endorse Casey Cagle after this. Now, whether or not he stays on the sidelines remains to be seen. But I think both those guys know that they can they can maximize their endorsement if they do it after July 4th, because we're all tuned out for most of this coming week. Um, something you have seen from both candidates um, over the last few weeks, which has been so striking, is is they're fighting so much over who's more loyal to the president. Um, and, and both of them, it, it kind of, you know, they, they kept Trump 
I, I don't know if I'd say at an arm's length, but they were not early backers of him when he entered the, the presidential race in, in 2015. And, and even, you know, uh, even in, in 2016, as he was starting to pick up speed, um, I believe Cagle endorsed Jeb Bush. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, Cagle was a very early supporter of Jeb Bush and even campaigned with him at UGA ahead of a Georgia uh, football game uh, right outside of North Campus. So, and and Kemp as and Kemp as the top elections official, you know, said, "I don't want to endorse ahead of the the primary. This is not my role." Um, but now you see in in press releases from both of them, essentially trying to show that they are a bigger Donald Trump supporter. Um, mm-hmm. That's become such a dynamic in the last few few weeks of the race. What do you make yep. of that? And, and do you think that'll actually flip any voters one way or, or another in this race? Yeah, it's kind of head spinning. I mean, Kagel endorsed Jeb Bush, and then even after even after Trump won the Republican nomination, he spoke favorably about him, but never never seemed like he was you know 100 all in behind behind Donald Trump. And uh, you know, Brian Kemp stayed neutral in the race. And, and even when he was criticized for it during the debates earlier this year, said basically he supported Trump, but he was never, quote, in his words, formally asked to endorse him. So he never he never really did. Now, both of them are now using their supporters to say, oh, you know, Casey was all in. Brian Kemp was, secret, you know, was behind the scenes revving up grassroots energy for Trump. But they know that's a reality of the Republican runoff. Anyone who has seen as squishy on Donald Trump is, has a huge liability because Donald Trump in poll after poll after poll, including AJC polls, has an 80 to 90 percent approval rating among Republican voters. And the people who are voting in the July 24th runoff are going to be the fervent, you know, most activated, energized conservatives who vote because why else would you vote in, the, in this steamy July runoff? Um, so these are the people who really do support president the most fervently and so any any attempt to try to brand them as 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 anti-trumpers as never trumpers could be really really dangerous for their candidacies the the other person that you're especially seeing casey cagle link himself to uh, in these last few weeks is, is governor nathan deal who um you know based on our polling is is the most popular republican in the state um, so you've definitely be, been seeing that on the, the campaign trail. Um, but as you note in your, your coverage, Greg, um, you know, both of them are from Hall County, from, from North Georgia, but over their years together in state government, they have not been particularly close. No. And, and right now, um, Casey Cagle is branding himself as sort of the, not only as the, as the most energized Trump supporter, but also as the biggest fan of, of Governor Deal. And, and I was at a campaign event with his up in the mountains the other day, and he talked about the Deal Cagle economic team. So he's tethering himself directly to, to Governor Deal. But you're right. I mean, they, they've had very, they've had, a, they, they've broadly agreed on a lot of policies, but they've also had some really big, crucial differences, including over the religious liberty bill and over uh, the Delta tax break. And you had a chance to catch up with the Delta CEO up in Washington the other day uh, about that tax break. Yeah, he did. Uh, uh, Delta CEO Ed Bashan did a uh, event at the National Press Club on Wednesday um, and, and did a whole like long hour long fireside chat where he was he was asked about this this fight in the legislature um, when, you know, after Delta had cut off a, a special discount it gave to NRA members after the Parkland shooting. Um, you know, Delta had cut off that that uh, benefit saying, um, you know, these are not our values. We're, we're not a fan of the, you know, some of the rhetoric that's coming out of the NRA right now. Um, and that led to a huge backlash in the legislature led by Casey Cable. Um, 
you know, they, they cut off or, or moved to cut off anyway, a, a $40 million, I believe, uh, jet fuel tax break that, that before then looked like it was going to easily breeze through. Um, and, and Bastion, when, when he was asked about it earlier this week from, from Delta, he mentioned, you know, he kind of doubled down on that. He said he does not regret um, his move to, uh, to do that. And they weren't going to back down. Um, which was pretty darn interesting. And, and Cagle, right after that, Greg, if I remember correctly on Twitter, mentioned that um, he would block any bill in the legislature that would give Delta more tax breaks. Yeah, he, he said he, he would kill any move that would benefit Delta uh, unless it reversed its policy. And, and Delta did not. And it became this a huge event earlier on this year in the Georgia legislature. And I asked Casey Cagle about that the other day because um, we had a big watchdog story that our colleague James Solzer wrote uh, talking about how Cagle is by far the favorite with capital lobbyists, that $240,000 of his campaign cash in recent months alone have come from lobbyists or lobbyist firms. And I asked, so, you know, how do you say, what do you say to voters who say you have a conflict of interest? And his first words out of his mouth were, well, ask Delta about that. Because Delta is another group that is that has given him ample campaign cash. And he said, look, you know, I've shown that I can, <laughs> I can tick off the, the very people who are, who are donating to my campaign. And Delta is prime example. And it'll be very interesting to see how that relationship continues should Cable win in November. Um, Delta had a great relationship, or has a great relationship with Governor Deal. He he still defended the the jet tax breaks even after this um, fight in the legislature. Um, and they'll need to have a relationship with Cable going forward. And you saw the CEO on Wednesday even say, you know, even though we're standing by our policy as it comes to the NRA, um, you know, we're a Georgia company. We want whoever's the governor of Georgia to succeed. And, and they said they'd work with whoever wins. So, um, you know, kind of, a, you know, maybe turning over a new leaf should should Kegel win. Yeah. And you better believe that Delta will be back in force trying to get, if not that exact same tax break, but some sort of um, tax break back on the books that helps them with when it comes to jet fuel. Um, I mentioned that the the, the Kegel watchdog story we had. We also had a, a bigger story about Brian Kemp, who, um, who received, in our analysis, more than $320,000 from the people he regulates, whether they be industries, whether they be individuals. Uh, and there's some murkiness about this law, about whether or not because he's not running for secretary of state, he's running for governor, whether or not he can accept campaign contributions from individuals and industries who whose his office regulates. But this is becoming something of a big campaign issue as well. Yeah. Isn't the rule something like, um, you know, the industries themselves can't donate, but individuals who work for regulated companies can? You got it. And it's also the subject of an ethics complaint that would be before the ethics commission uh, over the next few few months. So, uh, you know, watchdogs and, and the public hopes that they c- sort of clarify these rules. But right now, uh, th- there is a little bit of murkiness about whether or not Brian Kemp can accept these donations. He has refunded some donations, a few thousand dollars worth of donations, Um but but he's accepted more than $325,000 of other donations from industries. And some of them, and I've t- I talked to a lot of his donors, some of his donors were, let's say, uh, electrician in, in, in Athens. You know, he, his, his office technically oversees the electric, the electrician industry. Uh, but I talked to a donor who says, I don't know, you know, I know he has no 
day-to-day role in this. I'm donating to Brian Kemp because he's a friend of mine, because I've known his family for 15 years. Um, so a lot of these donors are saying that there was no personal, they weren't looking for anything personally, personal professional gain out of it. They were doing it because they think he's he's the best candidate. And yet still, to a lot of transparency a- activists um, and to, of course, Cagle's campaign, this looks very unseemly. And Cagle has demanded that he return that money. Yeah, and then in the meantime, you know, you have the, you have Cagle and and Kemp, you know, scrapping over everything on the, on the Republican side of the race. In the meantime, it goes in stark contrast to to the Democrat Stacey Abrams, who, you know, doesn't have a race until November, and you see her on the talk show circuit. She's trying to make the most out of every minute she can while the, while the Republicans are distracted and divided. And yeah, she went on Seth Meyers' late night show on uh, NBC this, this last weekend and, uh, you know, made the most of it. I mean, joked about Republicans, poked fun of Brian Kemp in his ad where he looked like he's pointing a gun toward a, toward a young actor. By the way, we now have that, that actor's name. It's Jansen McDonald. We broke that story on the, on the jolt last week. Huge, huge scoop. Oh man, what a get. <laughs> and he now, and, and somebody, somebody has started a Twitter account for that person. I don't know if it's the, the actor or, or somebody else, but a, a Twitter account based on this guy. It's a very confusing Twitter account. I tweeted about it a couple of days ago. It's I, I don't quite understand. They're knocking both Brian Kemp and Casey Cagle. Um, but no, she is she's out there raising money. And I think when her financial disclosures, her latest financial disclosures, all of the candidates we're going to see in early July, maybe on July 9th, we're going to see all their numbers. You're going to see a lot of out-of-state donations from her because she's been traveling. I mean, she was in New York. She's been in California. She's been in Boston. She's been all over the place um, on her book tour and also raising cash for a campaign. It won't be as stark as John Ossoff, who raised something like 90, I think it was like 97% or so of his money from out of state. But I bet we'll see more than half, if not more than two thirds of Stacey Abrams' money raised from out of state. She was already kind of this national darling, even um, during the primary race against Stacey Evans. But it feels like you're seeing her around even more since then, just the, the history-making nature of, of her candidacy. You're seeing her all over the national press. She does have this book tour. She's, she's on late-night talk shows. So I think especially for, um, you know, party bigwigs around the country, it's it's kind of a moment for them to get behind her. And she's gotten some pretty big-name endorsements, too, from Hillary Clinton and, and Bernie Sanders and stuff. So I'm sure that also helps with, with raising money. And I bet we'll hear a lot more of those endorsements in the next couple of months. Well, now it's time to take a quick break. We're back with our guest, Tamar Halloran, the AJC's capital correspondent and also our Water Wars expert. You never thought you'd have that title, right? You know, talk, talk about something I wanted to do as a little girl, you know, dreaming of, of covering water rights. Well, last week, the Supreme Court had a pretty big ruling when it came to uh, those water rights that we've been we've been reading and talking about for decades now between Georgia and Florida. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And and while their ruling was not a surprise, it it was definitely disappointing for Georgia. The court ruled really narrowly on a five to four margin to basically punt on the case to keep it alive. 
um, Florida had been hoping the case would um, would be dismissed, as is what this special expert judge appointed by the court had recommended. Um, but but this ruling ensures that that this battle will be going on for for even longer, for at least upwards of a year. And that's not even counting the three other cases that are um, related to, to Georgia Water that are moving through the federal courts. And these cases, that, I mean, this battle has raged for decades now. What 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 is the what does it come down to? What does it boil down to tomorrow? It all comes down to economic development. Um, Florida alleges, um, at least in this specific case, now now you know we've been fighting for decades for water uh, from Florida, from Alabama, mainly from these two river basins that start in North Georgia and flow through Metro Atlanta down um, into the Gulf of Mexico. In this particular case, in, uh, before the Supreme Court, Florida alleges that um, you know Georgia agriculture in in Southwest and and Metro Atlanta because they've been taking so much water that helped kill their oyster industry in the Apalachicola Bay and the, the Florida Panhandle. Um, Georgia says that's not the case. They've been a responsible steward of water and that there's nothing that the court could do, um, such as capping Georgia's water, that would lead to more water flowing downstream to to Florida. Um, But all this comes down to economics, right? Putting a cap on Georgia's water usage would choke Metro Atlanta development. Um, This is a a city that's been booming for the last 20 years. Um, The population has pretty much doubled since 1992. Um, and so limiting Georgia's water at all could have a really big economic impact, not only on Metro Atlanta, um, but to farms in Southwest Georgia that need to irrigate water for their crops. And, and George, you know, agriculture is still Georgia's biggest industry. So any limitations on that could have a very tangible effect. And the public taxpayer effect has been pretty huge so far. Too. This number was just eye-popping to me. Uh, the governor's office said it's spent... Forty-seven million dollars on this this litigation alone since the governor took office in two thousand eleven, which and that and that number with the Supreme Court ruling uh, last week is only set to grow. So it seems like the biggest winner here are water rights lawyers. <laughs> Talk about job security, exactly. I always tell people this this battle's been going on for thirty years. It's going to go on for at least thirty more years. There are enough, um, you know, legal tributaries, pun intended, um, that'll keep this this case going on for for a really long time. Um, so right now, we don't really know exactly what's going to happen with the Supreme Court case. There is this this expert judge who the court has said, you know, we want you to go back and essentially rehear this case between Georgia and Florida. Um, but we want you to, to kind of focus in on these five questions, basically whether Florida can prove that Georgia has caused all these problems for them. And also if any kind of legal remedy exists, if there's anything the court could do that would lead to more water coming to, to Florida without completely choking Georgia development. Um, so we, we have yet to see a timeline for even when this next round of arguments will happen, but it will be months, if not a year, if not years. So this will be a long battle. Well, hopefully, I hope our grandkids will get to see the end of this fight because we probably won't. <laughs> exactly. But but I do want to ask you actually about something you talked to Governor Deal about. Um, you know, he's on his way out. And, and one of the things he mentioned to you is that one of his big regrets was not being able to work this issue out you know, himself with the governors of Alabama and Florida. The, the expert judge in this water case had begged the governors to come up with, with a, an accord because he said, you know, whatever solution I come up with, none of you will like. So work it out amongst yourselves, basically. 
Yeah, he, he had the chance to sit down with those two other their governors early in his term. And he told me, and he had a gag order in this case, so he couldn't really talk about it for a long time. But with the Supreme Court ruling nigh, he, he felt like he could. And he told me that they came so close. They thought they had a deal. And then in the end, he said, unnamed aides for the other two governors kind of got in their ear and 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 told them this was, was not going to be a good idea. But he really, he said that was one of his biggest regrets is leaving office Early next year, in January, is when his last day without a water wars deal, and that means that not only do we still have these fights in in courtrooms, but also in Congress. Well, that's all for this week's edition of the Politically Georgia podcast. Head to ajc.com forward slash politics to subscribe to Politically Georgia. You'll get access to our daily newsletter, along with all of our stories and updates on all things Georgia politics. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and rate us. And as always, thank you for listening. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, the Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter.